HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is a beautiful day, Wednesday, April 29th. This is the 62nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an amazing culinary event producer, and I will introduce her in a moment. But first, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to learn from your mistakes. Let's face it, none of us are perfect. We all slip up as we go through life. But hopefully, our errors aren't too grand, and we can turn them into positive lessons. So when you mess up, don't beat yourself up. But think about how you can prevent the same thing from happening again. If you're going to make another mistake, let it be a new one rather than a repeat. Keep moving in a positive direction. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have my guest here. It is Marissa Ain, founder and CEO of Plate and Decanter, a full-service culinary and wine event production company. For over a decade... Marissa has planned and managed some of the nation's most exclusive events, from visiting chef dinners to food and wine festivals. Her resume includes the Newport Mansions Wine and Food Festival, presented by Food and Wine Magazine, events for the James Beard Award Foundation, and the Food Network NYC Food and Wine Festival. Marissa is a graduate of Yale University with a BA in the History of Art and holds an advanced level certificate from the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. So welcome, Marissa. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to have you here. And I, as I'm always uh, intrigued at how a lot of us, none of us, or 
that most people that came on has have come on my show did not study food or wine or even think that was the direction they were going to go when they were applying for schools. And so tell me a bit about your career path. Like, how did you I mean, you went to Yale, which is very impressive. And, <laughs> and yes, no, I, I mean, and you studied history of art. So how did that how did you go from that into the food and wine world? It's a great question. You know, when you graduate from a place like Yale with a degree in art history, you basically have two paths. You can go work in the art world for basically no money, or you can go work for McKinsey. And when I graduated, none of those options sounded really interesting to me. So I banged down, you know, career services door and said, I want to do something else. And I uh, eventually decided to follow my passion for food and beverage and started working at the Yale Club after I graduated. So that was my first entree into the wonderful world of hospitality. The Yale Club in New York. Mm-hmm. Are, are you from New York originally? South Florida. You are? I am. I am. Where are you from? I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. I did not know that. I'm it's, from, it's the sixth borough. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Miami. Amazing. I can't believe we, we didn't ever figure that out. Oh, wow. how funny. Small world. <laughs> yeah. So, so, then, so you've been in New York since then. And so mm-hmm. what were you doing at the Yale Club? I was the club's activities manager, so I planned and managed all the events for our members, wrote the club's monthly newsletter, and it was an amazing first job out of the school, uh, and I'm still really involved in the club as a volunteer. I sit on, oh goodness, I think uh, three different committees that we have. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So then where did you go from there? Uh, so there I went uh, and uh, worked for an agency where we planned events for American Express's Buy Invitation Only program okay. for Platinum Card and Centurion members. And it was amazing, you know, uh, focused events in food and beverage. So we planned, you know, the ultimate Sonoma Wine Weekend, and we did overlays to all the food and wine festivals. So that what got me is what got me started in um, uh, partnering with the country's best food and wine festivals. And we created our own events that partnered with these VIP overlays. So early access, front row seats, like speed lines, uh, as well as, you know, talent meet and greets and special events just for card members. That sounds amazing. It was pretty sweet. <laughs> Working for American Express. Yeah. And, and planning all those events. So, so how long did you do that for? Uh, I did that for about three years. Okay. And then did you decide to launch your company after that? Pretty much. And, you know, after working, you know, with brands like American Express and working on New York City Food and Wine Festival and, uh, you know, doing, you know, large scale events, I really wanted to focus on both the intimate experiences as well as these, you know, large consumer facing events. And for me, it was really important to start a company where food and wine came first. So that's what your company is about, obviously, with the name. Well, how did you come up with the name? It's cute. And you use... Well, it's cute. It's great. And you have the and is a plus sign. I love how the logo looks. It just has a nice, nice, uh, nice feel to it. Thank you. I knew I wanted it to be food and beverage related. And, and those pairings are really important to me, you know, throughout all my events. Some are more chef focused, some are more wine focused, but it's really the marriage of those two that I find really interesting and important to balance at every event. Uh, so I, I knew I wanted it to be decanter because as we chatted earlier, you know, if you don't know what a decanter is, you likely don't need my services. What's a decanter? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I wanted the first part to be one syllable word, something with food. And uh, I was actually my, my now husband, uh, at the time we were, uh, on our way to meet my dad for dinner and he came up with plate. So it was a joint effort and plate and decanter was born in that cab ride. We had a fabulous dinner. And one of my uh, dearest friends, who's a brilliant graphic designer, uh, did the logo identity and my website. And uh, her first rollout was pretty much what it looks like today. Wow. 
talented. She did good. Yeah, she's known me for a long time. <laughs> so what services do you provide? Like when you do an event, what exactly does that mean when you produce these events? Sure. Uh, so it is everything from, you know, working on the concept with a client to doing the on-site management. So some clients have a really clear idea what they want to do and they come to me and say, you know, great, I want to do a wine tasting dinner or I want to do a, a food conference or, you know, here's my idea, here's, you know, my goals. And I work with them to figure out how to realize those and turn it into a live event. So it's everything from seating, picking out linens, rentals, you know, working with celebrity chefs, bringing in the right talent, finding the right restaurant, finding the right wines, you know, all of these things come together. So I like to think of myself as a general contractor and I find the right partners and vendors to bring in to create a seamless experience. Excellent. And you've had a quite a busy week. I, I mean, I've, I, I'm, I'm thrilled you're out here. I felt a little, a little badly that I was pulling you away from everything you're doing. So because I ran into you the other night at Taste of a Nation, which, what was your role with that, the Share a Strength event? Uh, so I actually volunteered for that event. Okay. Uh, my dear friend, Maura, runs the event, and uh, she asked me to help out and manage the VIP room. Maura's awesome. She is. She's the best. And this year was different because there was a dinner going on. Mm-hmm. There was a 400-person seated dinner at the same time as the walk-around tasting. So it was, it was quite an extensive event. It was it was amazing. I'd never been to that venue before. I don't know if they've... Have they done a lot of events there? Uh, I'm not sure. It was definitely a more rustic venue, so I, yes. I think... Uh you know, it might have been more interesting for them to have an event of this scale. Yeah, it was It was 23 Wall Street, which I think was an old bank. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was, it was cool. It gets such a great lineup of chefs and restaurants and, and mixologists and just lots of... And, and it's for a good cause. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. So it was great to see you there. And then I didn't see you on Friday, but I know you were involved, or very involved, with the, the James Beard Awards uh, book and journalism evening of events. Yes, that was an amazing experience. Uh, so I'm part of our larger production team for the James Beard Awards. And what I love about the Media Awards, the focus on cookbooks, journalism, TV, you know, broadcast, you have all of these amazing players who are sometimes behind the scenes in the hospitality world, and it gives them their own night to celebrate and be recognized amongst their peers. So we had a beautiful dinner for uh, about 500 guests at Pier 60. And it was an amazing show. I was really, really happy with the outcome this year. Yes, I haven't. I've never gone to that awards because it's an invite only and mostly for award nominees. Uh, I did hit the after party. I did find it. Uh, nice. Uh, yeah, and and that was and that was cool. And I and I also saw a photo that you took of the table and the and so when it comes to that event, as far you're picking out the linens, the 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 plates, the the everything. Are you organizing? Uh, how the chefs, you know, get the food out to the tables. Are, are you involved with the chef lineup for the dinner? Uh, the foundation uh, generally curates the chef lineup and uh, the production team that works on this is Bowen and Company. So David Bowen, the lead executive producer for this event, and he has incredible taste. He picked out the linens, the decor. Um, I do that for other events, but he is the lead for this particular one. Got it. So how far out do you start working on events like for this one? Uh, for James Beard, it's it's really an annual process, and for a lot of the larger, you know, multi-day events, you know, usually a year out. 
a uh, year out. Yeah. And <laughs> annual events, it gets easier, but usually there's a decent amount of lead time. If somebody wants a really simple wine tasting or, you know, a private corporate event, you know, you can do those with a lot shorter lead time. So, what, I mean, why does it take a year? And I'm not saying it shouldn't take a year, but what do you start? So, so you're looking now already probably at next year and the venue and what you're going to do. Did you have a recap meeting and then you look and you say things that we might want to do differently, do the same? Sure. We, we call those key learnings to oh, go okay. along with your there's PR a, tip for the a, week. The name for them. <laughs> yes. You know, with, with live events, you know, you may have challenges that pop up. But what's amazing about doing annual events is you can learn from those mistakes. You can improve. You can put solutions in place to make things more effortless, you know, in follow-up years. And you can really improve annual events uh, so much more dramatically than you know, a one-off that you might have. So is there anything from this last event that, that you could share that you want to tweak or that was amazing that, that you would just say, we have to do this again? Uh, I thought the venue change was really nice this year for James Beard. Uh, so we'll be at Pier 60 again next year. Oh, you weren't always there? Again, I have not been invited to Oh, this no worries. Uh, we were at Gotham Hall the past couple of years. Oh, okay. I have been to events on the pier. And, well, it's always lovely when the sun starts to set and you just have the ambiance. So, well, that's good to know. So that's where the event will be. Mm -hmm. And now, next week, you're involved with the James Beard Awards that is happening in Chicago on Monday, which I decided to attend. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm very excited. So what's your role with that? So my role for the uh, gala, uh, which is more focused on culinary and restaurant awards, is to manage the VIP dinner. And this year, uh, unlike prior years, the guests will actually have a five-course seated dinner during the show. And then once the awards are done, they'll be available to go into the gala reception with all the other guests. So it's a really nice experience for the VIP guests this year. So typically the the dinner was after? Uh, it would be after the show, and it would uh, it happened simultaneously with the walk around reception. So some of the VIP guests would want to you know see what was going on in the gallery reception. You know it's a great opportunity for networking and saying hello to the other chefs participating. But we would prepare a seated dinner with amazing wine pairings at the same time. So this year they get the best of both worlds. And in the new house at the Lyric Opera House. Um, the setup is just incredible for this sort of experience to build out small tables in these private boxes. Neat. Yeah, I've never been to this venue. Having gone to the wards here, I do remember seeing the VIP set up in Lincoln Center. I was like, kind of, what's going on behind that curtain? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so how, so how many people attend the dinner? Uh, about two hundred. Oh wow, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And you'll have. I'm assuming monitors set up so they can watch along. Oh, it's in the theater. Oh, it's in the theater. Yes, there's two levels of mezzanine boxes that overlook uh, the main orchestra seating for the show. So they'll get to watch the show along with everybody else. Oh, you did say that. I didn't pick it up, though. Well, what's really neat, Stephanie Izard is the Alexis Culinary Master. Alexis is presenting uh-huh. the awards and this dinner in particular. And she was inspired by the America's Classics. So her menu is all riffing off of these different videos that will play throughout the evening for America uh, America's Classic restaurants and her inspiration behind them. So she's the sole chef for the whole dinner? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's a... That's great for her. Yeah. It's a fantastic menu she's put together. I'm really excited about it. Well, when I was in Chicago in March, I did finally get get back to Chicago, and I went to Girl and the Goat, which was high on my list, and loved it. It's so good. 
She is very talented. She is, and she's also a U of M uh, alum, like me. She went to Michigan. Uh, I remind her that every time I see her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, wow, that's that's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to being there. I'm not going to be at the VIP dinner, but I will will check out the people having dinner across the room and think of you. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to take a break here, so please stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This one's called Pale Blue by The Landing. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips, including orchards, farms, and wineries. Come by Escape Maker's Yellow Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. Better yet, attend escapemaker.com's fourth local food and travel expo on May 2nd at Brooklyn Borough Hall featuring destinations in Brooklyn, New York State, New Jersey, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. Sample cheese, maple products, beer, and wine from Brooklyn and beyond, and free apples courtesy of the New York Apple Association. Plus, there will be Marketplace sponsored by Taste New York and plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. The expo is free for everyone, but you must pre-register at escapemaker.com to attend. Tickets are limited. See you there. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Baer. My guest today is Marissa Ain of Plate and Decanter which is an outstanding event and production company based in New York City. So we're talking, well, is it just you or do you have a team? It is. I'm a sole proprietor. Okay. But depending on the client's needs and the event needs, I can scale up and I have a wonderful network of people that I work with. I like people like me who are one-woman shows. One-woman show, (laughs) indeed. (laughs) Make it look like there's more of us doing all the work, but make it happen. Absolutely. Well, that's impressive. So what other events do you have coming up? Because I, I know before the show, we, we mentioned a few. We have a lot of interesting things coming up. Uh, in the fall, this coming September, uh, September 25th through 27th, we are coming up on the 10th annual Newport Mansions Wine and Food Festival. It's my fourth year producing the event. And we have Jacques Pepin and Claudine Pepin returning and Martha Stewart. So I'm really excited about that show. Um, it's, it's one of my babies, and it's been really amazing just seeing you know, how much you can you know, improve in doing an annual event, as we were talking about before. I remember when you told me about that years ago, and 
I haven't been. I'd like to go. You have to come as my guest this September. <laughs> Fabulous. I thought it was it always in September? Yes. Okay. It's usually the third weekend, but because of the way Labor Day falls this year, we're pushing it back to the last weekend in September. I I don't have plans for September yet. Now I, you do. I think I might be able to make that happen. And yeah, I've never been to Newport, so it's I like beautiful. checking out new places. Absolutely. And, you know, getting to do events in the mansions is an incredible opportunity. The properties are so stunning and all the proceeds go towards historical preservation, conservation, restoration, educational programs. So it makes a lot of sense. People get to enjoy these properties as they're supposed to be enjoyed and have some amazing food and wine throughout the weekend, you know, meet amazing culinary talents and, uh, you know, enjoy scenic Newport. It's a really beautiful place. So do you bring in chefs from different cities? We do. Uh, I mean, obviously, Martha's coming in from uh, New York, and uh, Jacques is based in Connecticut. Uh, this year, we have J.J. Johnson from the Cecil joining us from Harlem. So One star nice um, Minton's today in the yeah. New York Times, right? I thought it was a great article. It really was, and I just went to brunch there a couple weeks ago, and I've met him before. He wasn't there when I was there for brunch, but it's really a... I mean, with the live jazz, it's a lovely place to have a meal. Mm-hmm. It is. So. And the cocktail program is fantastic if you go in the evenings or perhaps for brunch. And the food is delicious. He's really talented. Yeah. So, and I've, yeah, and he's, he's, he's just charming. So I feel he's, that will be a great personality to have at your event. Definitely. And another event that I'm really excited about is coming up this June, uh, the last weekend in June, June 5th, 6th, and 7th. It's called Bite Silicon Valley, and it is a food and tech conference. So Friday is all-day conference and networking, and then Saturday and Sunday is a grand tasting, culinary demonstrations and presentations, wine seminars, and uh, it is going to be an incredible juxtaposition of food and tech. Sounds awesome. I had I had heard about it from Carol Chen, who is she's producing or she's I don't know what her exact title is on it. I guess you're working with her. Mm-hmm. I am. Okay. So but, my role in that is producing the grand tasting and Carol's overseeing the entire event through Octagon Culinary. Amazing. Well, Carol, I mean, she has a lot of tons of experience too in the food world and now she's on the west coast and I think this is really exciting. It is. I don't think I can make it to this one this year, but <laughs> Maybe we'll next year. Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 a great combination. I mean, there's a lot happening in the tech world related to food. Yeah, there definitely is, and you know the dialogue happening now between science and the kitchen and what you can do with apps and restaurants and how you can make things run more efficiently to food science and molecular gastronomy, you know, it really, it runs the gamut. So the conference has a lot of really intriguing topics and we'll see that, you know, come to life at the grand tasting. So people have the opportunity to taste what they're learning about. And it's, it's a nice blend of education and entertainment. That's awesome. So what are, what are the challenges of putting together these events? Like, what's the hardest thing for you? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I think there still needs to be a lot of education in the industry on how many resources it takes to put together events of this scale, and even small events. Uh, I don't think the general public is as educated in understanding, you know, how much private dining costs, you know, how much food and beverage costs. So there, there's definitely sticker shock there. So I hope that as events become more popular and as food and wine events become more popular, there'll be a greater understanding of, you know, what it takes time-wise to put together something like that. And also just, you know, how much it, it costs to put together really unique experiences. I think that's true. As we said earlier in the show, I mean, you spend a year planning an event 
And I don't think a lot of people realize that, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, they just show up for a couple hours, have a great time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is that hard to, to, you know, spend so much time working on something and then... It's over in three hours. Like, do you, do you get any? Do you get sad about that, or do you just feel amazing? Just the whole time, and the, you know, you get the glow of the event. That's what I love about it. Okay, For me, you know, I love the planning. I love the production work. But really, on site is where all your homework comes together. And if you've done your homework, you'll have a seamless event. And what I loved with running plate and decanter, you know, I just, I pour myself into the events and the quality is really there. The experience is really there and you see the guests having a great time. So that to me is, is the best part of it. Yeah. Well, you get to see the end result. So that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Let me ask you the questions I had for my, my show last week. So on episode 61, I had on chef and TV personality, Justin Warner and photographer, Daniel Krieger, who have collaborated on a new cookbook coming out in the fall and it's called the laws of cooking and how to break them it was a very fun energetic show for anyone who missed it so justin asked have you ever had a tent blow away (laughs) justin that punk uh no i've never had a tent (laughs) get blown away uh we we have very specific permitting and and good vendors to prevent that but most of the tents that i am in charge (laughs) of putting up are quite large so that would be pretty crazy if they got blown away <laughs> well he's a character he had a good question and is i mean it's a fitting question for justin <laughs> ask, right he's fantastic yes <laughs> when he asked it i kept thinking of a chefs and champagne event with that huge tent or even you know it's out between a wine those tents i mean they are quite large mm-hmm. yeah the, the newport tent is very substantial so it would be tough to have that go into the ocean Okay, so the answer is no. And <laughs> that's good. Now, Daniel asked, what's the most people you can do an event for and still feel comfortable with giving them the same high level of service? That's a great question. Uh, Newport, we have about 5,000 people throughout the weekend, and I'd like to think that everyone has a great experience. But I do like doing the small, intimate events. You know, I'll, I'll take the time to get guest feedback. You know, I really want to know what they think about the wines, you know, if they're enjoying the food pairings when I'm hosting a small event. But you can get a sense of the energy in the tent when you're doing these large-scale things, uh, you know, walk-around tastings and, um, you know, festivals as well. So I, I like the mix of both. Okay. Well, that's a lot of people, 5,000. Because yeah. <laughs> you also now do, on the flip side, you do more intimate wine dinners. or What are, what are the other type of events? You do some smaller ones. Are they private events? Uh, definitely. And I'd say my business is about split half and half between private events and, and public events. Uh, on the private side, it, it's either social or corporate. Corporate is usually wine tastings, hands-on cooking lessons, uh, client entertaining dinners, you know, private dining rooms things of that nature. And on the social side, it might be, you know, a blowout birthday party with someone who wants, you know, a fabulous cake by one of the, the best, you know, pastry <laughs> chefs in the city or, uh, you know, just marquee anniversaries and celebratory events. So it's a nice mix. So I'm assuming you like the mix of having both or is there one you, you like more than the other? Oh, I do like both. And uh, I think I'd get bored if I did either or. It makes it harder to explain for an elevator pitch, but I like having the breadth and the flexibility of being able to tackle projects of all different sizes. I get that. I like variety. So uh, anything anything else? Anything? What advice would you have for, for someone who wants to get into this industry? Volunteer. Get your hands dirty. Uh, you know, a lot of what I've learned, I've learned on the job, the key learnings as we discussed, 
And uh, you just, you learn a lot from experience, you know, I, unless you're going to say Cornell's hospitality program, you know, I certainly didn't walk out of Yale knowing all the things that I've learned on the job, but um, having good organizational skills and propensity to remember insane amount of detail is, is really helpful in what I do, but you learn so much by doing. So get your hands dirty. That's good advice. And it is details. I mean, specifically what you do. There's so many details to an event that people don't think about. I always notice, like, the garbages. Where are the garbages when you're walking around? And sometimes you go to events and you can't find them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, for me, registration is one thing that I harp on. I actually get brought in to do registration for events all the time because that is often overlooked, especially for nonprofits. And to me, that's the most important thing. It's the first greeting your guests have. It's their first entrance into the event. They're coming into the space. They don't know where everything is. You know, you need to give a really warm welcome, give them the information they need to have a good time and, you know, just be grateful that they're there. So uh, I actually wrote a blog post recently about, you know, five tips to make a great registration. That's very true. Yeah. Well, terrific. Okay, we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. It's called Write It Down by The Landing, and we'll be right back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Marissa Ain. It's time for my speed round game. Are you ready? I'm excited. <laughs> you look excited. Okay, so I'm going to name two things and you pick your preference. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Oh, all three? <laughs> that, that's challenging. Maybe start with a cocktail, then go into wine. Okay, done. Tasting menu or a la carte? Depends on the restaurant. Depends. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. You can try more things that way. I agree. I like small plates for solo dining, too. Mm. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? For restaurants or for events? That's a first. You can answer however you want, but it's meant for restaurants. But I'd like to hear your answer on both, please. For restaurants, I, I think tipping is okay. Uh, I know there's some interesting debates going on in that front. Uh, for events, I like all-inclusive. I don't like hidden charges. I think you want the guests to know what's a part of the experience, and you don't want to hit them up with gratuity or weird service fees afterwards. That makes sense. How about planning walk-around events or sit-down dinners? Ooh, I think it depends on the client's goals or the event goals. They're both really fun, but it depends what you want to get out of the experience. Okay. Live music or DJ? DJ. Indoor events or outdoor events? 
indoors are so much easier. <laughs> I was I was thinking when I was thinking about the tent blowing away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you always need a weather backup, and that can be pretty expensive or special permitting. So indoors is a lot easier to control. Good to know. Cheese plate or dessert? Both. both. Why not? Why not that have be your both? Tasting menu. <laughs> Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Excellent. Daniel Krieger last week wanted we were running out of time, but he wanted to get into a bait, debate of of Brooklyn versus of New York City, and he actually called Manhattanites wimps. <laughs> I didn't have time on the show to defend myself, but I guess well, I'll give a special shout out for Gramercy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's the Columbus Circle area. That's where nice. I live. <laughs> so I used to be up there. That, that's a good spot. No, I think that debate will never be solved because Brooklyn will always think they're better, and Manhattan yes. will always think they're better. And there we are. Yes, and I find almost all the food writers and a lot of people in our industry live in Brooklyn. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Or maybe I, it's both, but I think a lot of food writers live in live in Brooklyn. Nice. There, there's good food in both places, so there is. we're lucky to be so close <laughs> to all of these resources. We are. Very good. Okay, so it's time for the industry news discussion on my show. So I had on my list, of course, the James Beard Foundation Awards, which we talked about, were on Friday. These were for book, broadcast, and journalism. And... I think the the one I was most excited about was just seeing was uh, Liza DeGia won for Video Website on Location, and she was a guest on my show, and she had been nominated five times, and she's a sweetheart, and she's amazing. She produces beautiful videos, so I was very excited to see that she won. Um, now, you were at the award, so what was what was your take, I mean, being there and about the nominees and winners. Well, Eliza had a great speech. It was really heartfelt. And, you know, it was just so nice to see people recognized in these new categories. So that was really interesting, you know, to see that the foundation's keeping up with current trends. They're adapting. They're recognizing, you know, podcasts and, you know, online videos and all these different things that didn't exist, you know, a couple of years back. So uh, for me, it's the energy in the room. It's all these people in this community who know each other, who are there to support and celebrate each other. I know there's there's some friendly competition, but uh, to me, it's just having all these you know industry people, the meeting of the minds. That's what's really special about the awards. The meeting of the minds. Yes. And I do, from going to the gala, uh, I always like hearing the speeches. They are heart- heartfelt and they're, they show the person's character. And um, it, it is usually a special, a special part of the experience. Absolutely. They put together an incredible tribute video to kick off the Media Awards that uh, was snippets of different chefs and, you know, acceptance speeches. Oh, really? And it was hysterical. <laughs> they did a really nice job on that. Yeah. And who were the hosts? It was Carla Hall? Mm-hmm. And Andrew Zimmern. Okay. That's what I thought. How'd they do? Fantastic. They are amazing presenters and, and great banter between them. Great. Yes, I, I also saw that Dave Arnold won, and he's a host on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, he won for his book uh, on, in beverage. Mm-hmm. for It's called Liquid Intelligence, and uh, his show on Heritage Radio is Cooking Issues. And I've listened, and he talks so fast. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> he's a super smart guy. Super smart, and I, 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 I was fast, I'm fascinated when I listen to his show, so I was happy to see he won. Um, yeah, it was a good, it was a, I mean, it's always, I'm always happy for lots of people. I mean, you had the, the group food blog went to Grub Street, which was nice. And I'm an avid reader. I was ex- very happy about that. Yeah, no, it was a good list. I mean, I, I, and I think, you know, just being nominated, of course, is a huge honor. 
So um, definitely. Yeah. Well, congratulations to everyone, all the winners, nominees. And I will see you uh, on Monday. Well, when are you going out to Chicago? How early uh, I have do you another go? event on Saturday, so I'm actually flying out on Sunday morning. You have an, another event on here on Saturday? Yes, in New York. What? Okay, I thought you had a busy week, and I didn't even know about that. That's amazing. I'm going. Sun- I'm just going Sunday to Tuesday. That's perfect. Yeah, it will be. It will be quick and fun. Okay, so now this is what I'm calling breaking news this morning <laughs> on Twitter. I see. I see how this is the next story. So. Twitter blog announced, and it was on Twitter, calling all foodies, here comes at Twitter food. So they wrote, there are many thousands of food-related tweets people send on Twitter each day. Tweets about meals, ingredients, favorites, recipes, and dining experiences. Today, we're formally joining that conversation with the launch of at Twitter food. I thought that was cool. Well, it's a testament to the industry. You know, food is exploding. It's everywhere. People want to know about it. And, uh, you know, I think I actually really love Instagram. And I know, you know, with all the handles and hashtags and whatnot, you can really track what's going out there. So the fact that Twitter is, you know, putting this as a a forefront of their platform is really interesting for hospitality. It is. I mean, I love Instagram. I certainly Probably is my favorite, but I love Twitter too. Just they're they're different. Mm-hmm. I get so much information from Twitter, mm-hmm. and also just networking and relationships. And um, yeah, no, I think it's it's amazing that that it, the food industry keeps growing and getting stronger. And I think, it, as you said, it's a huge testament to what's happening. Definitely. Oh well, I started following them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll see if they start following me. That's the question. Well, if they know it's right, they will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, now the last thing I had, well, I, we mentioned before the, the restaurant review, so, so that's awesome. For It was uh, Mittens Harlem, one star by Pete Wells. Uh, the last thing I had was last week in the New York Times, Jeremiah Tower announced, it was announced that he was leaving Tavern on the Green, I don't know how surprised I was by this. However, it was it was quicker than I would have thought because he joined Tavern in the Green in the fall. Um, and basically, I think he came in to, you know, give it a boost. And, uh, and I haven't been back since he redid the menu. I think, I think there's been some reviews saying it improved a bit. Um, and then I also saw Tavern in the Green is making so much money. I, I don't know how much it matters, but... Um, what, what did you think of this? Uh, I mean, that would be my take on it. It's such a, a beautiful space and such an iconic space. In some ways, it doesn't even matter if there's a celebrity chef or, you know, however many celebrity chefs they're going to go through uh, because the space itself speaks so much to New York history and, uh, you know, just celebrations that occur there. So I'm, I'm curious to see who fills those shoes. But I honestly think maybe they might be better suited to... Uh, just have somebody who can, you know, run a great operation, produce great food, and maybe it's not so much about the celebrity chef for a place like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they did. There was a mention about who's who's coming in, and it's this guy John Stevenson, and he's a chef from Russ and Daughters Cafe. Not, I wasn't familiar with him. I know Russ and Daughters. I think we all know Russ and Daughters. So, um, I think it's a tough it's a tough position to to have. It's an honor to have. It's a you know iconic restaurant, uh, but 
Jeremiah is, I guess, retiring again. <laughs> <laughs> well, he came out of retirement. He's a phoenix. To do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, um, so that's the news. We're going to take a little break, one more break, come back and do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience of the week. And this week, it's all about dessert. As I went to Harb's. So here's the rundown. The location, 198 Ninth Avenue at 22nd Street in Chelsea, Manhattan. The concept, a cafe born in Japan, pursuing freshness and handmade quality. Why did I go? Because my friend, pastry chef Pichet Ong, who was my episode 23 guest, he's apparently addicted to this place, which opened about four months ago. And since he knows pastry, I knew it had to be good. My experience. Over the weekend, I took a city bike ride down to the cafe. I admired the cakes on display in the front to-go area before I was seated in the back room, which had a casual and comfortable setting with nice natural light. What did I get? Cake, of course. It was hard to decide which one, but I went with their signature Malay crepe, which it had six layers of thin crepes filled with fresh fruits and mixed cream, and to drink Sakura tea, which was their seasonal selection. My take. Wow. Seriously, it was a slice of heaven and an ideal way to get your daily fruit intake. Truth be told, I ate the whole thing. And it was delicious and light, and I justified my calories by the fruit component and my ride there on my bike and back. The tea was also lovely. It was served in this really pretty glass teapot, and it had a cherry blossom in my cup that blossomed when I poured the tea in. The scene is mostly groups of Asians, which I guess is a good sign. Perfect for dessert and tea lovers. Interesting tidbit. Harbs has several locations in Japan, serves sandwiches and coffee as well, and the desserts are available to go. Personal fun fact, my Instagram photo of my nice piece of cake has received 55 likes so far, which is great for me. The cost, $18, not including tax and tip. Would I go back? Definitely. Website, harbsjapan.com. So this place is awesome, but it's pricey. I mean, I spent $18 on tea and a piece of cake. <laughs> I'm glad it was really good cake. <laughs> it was. Like, I didn't know. I mean, when you're, I, I was like, what's this about? But it was, it's, they really have perfected this light and delicious crepe style. Well, the one I had was crepes, and it was just amazing. So thanks for the tip, Piche. <laughs> okay, so it's. We're near the end of the show, so it's time for the final question. 
So next week I'm having on Anne McBride, and she is the Culinary Program and Editorial Director for the Strategic Initiatives Group at the Culinary Institute of America. She is also the Director at Experimental Cuisine Collective, which is an interdisciplinary group of scientists, chefs, media, scholars, and food enthusiasts that examines the connections between food and science. She is also my roommate going at the Beard Awards coming up. And I'm so we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. So, Marissa, can you ask Anne a question? Uh, Sure. She is definitely a busy lady. I'm so impressed with her many accolades and and writings. Uh, I would like to know who she would like to have in for a workshop that she hasn't, uh, that hasn't hosted one yet and why. And also, if she wants to host a food conference, call me. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. Uh, yeah, well, she's, I've known Anne for a while, and I'm, I'm looking forward to speaking with her because, as you can see from these titles, <laughs> she does a lot. And being, and being a, I mean, with the Culinary Institute of America, it's, you know, prestigious, pre- prestigious job she has. And I don't even know that much about it. So it will be fun. And those are great questions. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, and I hope everyone else gets to enjoy this beautiful day outside. Yes, and congratulations on all your success and all these events that you're doing. They've been wonderful, and I'm looking forward to Chicago. Excellent. Come hungry. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly will. All right, now I've been talking with Marissa Ain. She's the founder and CEO of Plate and Decanter. Her Twitter handle is Marissa Ain, at Marissa Ain. Mine are at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry, at Heritage underscore Radio. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website is BayerPublicRelations.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes. Also, our website rebuild project for Heritage Radio Network is underway as a Kickstarter campaign please consider becoming a backer. We would greatly appreciate your support. Thanks to my engineer, Jack, and to my guest, Marissa. I'm Sherry Bayer, and I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 for another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. About what you don't know.